Ladies and gentlemen, the three knockdown rule is in effect. Brought to you by UFC Fight Pass. I'm Steve Kim, joined by Mario. Viva Mexico, Lopez. Wow, what a fight this weekend. Oh, we're going to get to that. Quick shout out, though. Smoking Tim Frazier. Uh, on the ones and twos, and Tino. Tino on the edits. All right, the bout sheet for today's show. Valdez Navarrete put on a great show in Arizona. We have fight review, fight preview, Ask Mario, and news and notes. But we want to let you know that this fine program is brought to you by the Hustler Casino. It's our favorite local L.A. casino and home of the most popular poker live stream in the world, a Southern California staple since the year 2000. Also, shout out to uh, one of our neighbors here in Hollywood, Scout Micro LA. They offer a unique and innovative hair loss solution for men, and they're known for their pigmentation. It's uh, state-of-the-art hair restoration that replicates exact shape and size of the hair follicles by tattooing tiny particles of pigment into the, sac- into the scalp, giving the illusion of hair. You'll see results as little as one treatment. It is next level, high level stuff. It can restore hairlines, make your hair look thicker, conceal stuff like camouflage burns or any skin conditions you may be dealing with. They use the highest quality. So if you're going bald, looking for a new look this summer, call our friends over at Scout Micro LA and you mention this ad for a free consult. If you're getting thin, he'll help fill you in. All right, let's get this show started. (laughs) Round one, Saturday night from the Desert Diamond Arena in Glendale, Arizona on ESPN for the WBO Junior Lightweight Championship of the World. And it is El Vaquero riding off, but not into the sunset, <clears throat> defeating Oscar Valdez over 12 rounds. Your scores 119-109, Mario, it's very simple. For Emmanuel Navarrete, it sure looks a lot easier beating him from outside the ring than it is to do it from inside the ring. I make it a point not to check out your Twitter feed until after the fight. And I have one thing to say to you. What the hell fight were you watching? A good fight. How did you have it 115-113? Are you blind? Were you hammered? You actually had it. If he lost the 12th round, it would have been a draw. Bro. You're out of your mind. You know, press that row was, was kind of far away. I thought I was talking here. I was couldn't wait to sit down and tell you, you've lost it. Have I, I too, like you, thought Valdez would be able to work his way into the inside and maybe work that body and land that big left hook. Boy, were we wrong. Navarrete, again, coming off a performance where he got hurt, he had a long count, but came back and stopped him. Um... Dare I say, he's never looked better. The best I've seen him look in a long time. But one thing it wasn't was close. You, Tessa Torre, that whole damn broadcast, oh, when they kept what, saying all of them that fight was wow. close, y'all were wrong. That was a one-sided mm. beating. He destroyed Valdez. The work rate, he landed more effective combinations. Valdez was loading up on a lot of his shots, looking for one shot. I had it. Nine rounds to three, maybe. Eight rounds to four. Maybe, maybe if you're being generous, no more than that. When you look at them afterwards, Navarrete looked better after the fight. Like my man just took a shower and shaved. Valdez looked like he got in a car accident. And they're talking about a Mm. rematch. Are you trying to get this kid killed? And he did it, Kim, with one hand. The right hand wasn't even working until after in the middle rounds. I could not believe that. This dude, you have to start talking about him being one of the best fighters in the game right now. Three-division champion now. My guy has a pretty good little list of who's who people he beaten. And he beat a really tough, well-prepared game, Valdez. 
and essentially with one hand. He is so awkward and unorthodox to his benefit. That jab, which he paws out and, and holds for that distance, and then he looks like he's off balance and all of a sudden uppercut from the weirdest angles. It's like almost like he's drunk in there, but from these weird angles, and it's so effective. Uppercut, right, uppercut, right, body, and the little sneaky, I don't think his defense was given enough props too. He was so elusive, and he was so slick with his defense, and he looked so relaxed in there. He was putting his punches together so smooth, and he was dissecting and beating up poor Valdez, and again, with one hand, he wasn't even able able to throw that right hand. Saw that, and Valdez, to his credit, incredibly game, incredibly tough, didn't have the answers to make any adjustments, loaded up on a lot of those shots, and even when he did land, he walked right through yeah. him. Walked right through him. So as far as it being competitive, I'm like, what are these Wait a people minute. watching? Okay. So I, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What are these people this watching? This filibuster because- will end, I promise. What was that? I thought I thought I thought we were we were doing a show here. As, as, as soon as I oh, as soon are. as I saw this, well, I'm gonna say my piece. You say your little rant, and so because I was I like, couldn't wait to sit down with you. And I'm like I've never seen my friend be so wrong before because I did not have it. You had it going into the 12. If he lost it, that was gonna be even. That would have been a travesty. For once, I thought the judges got it right, and I thought he did a really really good job. So I just want to tip my hat to him because he outworked him with one hand. Valdez was tough as hell, and. Um, I just couldn't believe the scorecards and people calling it there should be a rematch. There's no, there's a lot of other fighters I want to see uh, him fight, and I guarantee you Valdez doesn't want any part of that right now. Okay, can I go? Okay, so here's the go thing. Go ahead, go ahead. Maybe this is my version of Chavez Whitaker that you still think is close, and I tell you it's not. That's an awful we comparison. That's say, awful because nobody got beat up in that fight. Um, Nobody's eye looked like that. Nobody looked like they went through but a Chavez grinder. lost 10 rounds, and you still say that's close. It's the eye of the no, beholder, I never, I and never I will argue with that. you about Whitaker. I never argued. I argued with you about Taylor, not Whitaker. Well, that was a bad stoppage, too. But here's no, the thing uh, about Valdez. I know Eddie Reynoso is given a lot of credit for being a great trainer. I'll be honest. I'm actually disappointed. But I don't think Oscar's ever gotten better with him. And this is the thing. I think his defense got a little better. There are two types of batting practice machines that I, I remember as a kid. There's a type that had the two things where that shoots the ball out. And there's the other time that has the big arm that just curls all the way around. That's what Oscar Valdez was. The whole night I'm thinking, Oscar, you've got to be able to throw a straight right hand at a certain point and get in distance. The problem that he had with this approach is if you're not going to be able to hit a guy like Navarrete and hurt him with one shot, you better work in volume, which means you better get close and chip away to the body with volume. And Oscar, I don't think, for as hard as he tries to hit, he's a gap hitter. He's not a home run hitter. And once Navarrete took a big shot, I believe, in round two and he didn't move him, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. This is going to be a problem. Well, he, he also was very elusive in there for all his lack of fundamentals. He did an awesome job of staying disciplined defensively. He kept that right hand, which he hurt, right right here. So that left hook, he had it pretty much the whole time. Sometimes when he caught it high, his face was completely clean. But I don't mean to even stand up. But when he's he's like looking like he's drunk and ah, that uppercut's coming like at these weird angles, he's hard to prepare for. How do you prepare for something like that? And it's so effective. And those punches come in bunches. And his work rate accelerated as the fight went on. He ended up throwing over a thousand punches. That's a dangerous individual in there. Navarrete has an unbelievable engine and he is the T-3000. He's the Mexinator. He is an absolute cyborg and he has an unbelievable ability to just look bad but be good. But he does manage distance really, really well, and his defense, I believe, yeah. is a lot better than given credit well, for. I personally believe that that Valdez had the worst thing happen to Navarrete. He looked vulnerable his last fight, 
And now that's the worst thing. Now you face a guy that says, okay, you know what? I, I may have gotten away with one. Now I have to be more disciplined than I've ever been in my life. And to his credit, he did it. The thing that's interesting about Valdez, he's the one with the Olympic background. He's the one that was higher touted as a pro. But Navarrete is what he is. He's a little bit off balance. He's not graceful. He's not Barishnikov. But you know what he does? He just chops you up and he puts you into that wood chopper over and over again. And it's unbelievable to me how you could see a million mistakes. But you know what? Sometimes you have to know who you are and be that guy over and over again. And I look at the landscape at 130. Oshaki Foster, skilled athletic guy. Joe Cordina, solid all-around fighter. Mario, I think it's time to say it. I don't care how bad he looks. He's good at what he does. I think he's the best 130-pounder in the world. There's no there's no doubt about that, and you can't even question that. This was as dominant a performance in my eyes, as Crawford was over Spence, just mm. without the stoppage. And by the way, they could have stopped it because I thought Valdez took a lot of unnecessary punishment uh, punishment in there. And it could, enough can't be said that it was, again, done for the most part with, with, one, uh, with one arm. And the thing that's crazy about Navarrete, too, you don't know what he's thinking, feeling. You heard him. My guy's got the best poker face. He's out nope. there just like Indio, straight. Like you said, Terminator style right there. But I thought it was a brilliant performance. And I'm watching this from a while and I go, he is beating his ass. He is not just beating him boxing. He is kicking his ass and really beating him up. And I was just tripping when I was hearing the the announcers saying, oh, they, I know because they kept cutting away to Barrera and Morales, which is what awesome trilogy. That. And that was a lot of back and forth action. It was not that. But between those guys and your clown ass scorecard that you had on Twitter, I said, Folks, these dudes the watching right next time we right talk Whittier, Whittaker Chavez, well, shut up. Remember these Whittaker, no again, one talked Whittaker Chavez. See how defensive no, he gets No one talked that. Don't be making up um, shit. Here's the issue with Navarrete, though. At 130, I think the politics of the business will not allow him to have what I would call the opportunity to unify. I will say this. There was 10,000 people plus at the Desert Diamond. It was a great crowd. In my view, he's now elevated himself again. Does that make him Barrera or Morales? No, but I think it makes him more of a commercial force, at least within the Mexican market. And I just really think to myself, what's the big fight out there? Now, he's fought twice this year. We're now going into September. I would hope he fits in another fight because activity is when he's good. Because when he really came to prominence was during COVID, when he was literally fighting non-title fights in between. I'd like to see him get back to that because discipline, from what I'm hearing, has been an issue. Now, for this fight, he got a strength and conditioning coach. He got a dietitian. He looked very well and, prepared. And he looked very well prepared. And that version of that guy. I don't think anybody beats that version of that guy, aside from all the different things we talked about. And you keep saying mistakes. I don't agree with that statement. I don't think he's fundamental. I think he's awkward and unorthodox to his benefit. Yeah. So it works for him. And I think that's a very dangerous individual when he's already probably got the reach advantage and height advantage for most of his peers in that weight class. And then the volume punching with that unorthodox style. And he's got that motor. Dude, that's that's a bad dude right there. Yeah, and, and you know what? Quick shout out to both of them. They were such gentlemen and class acts um, leading up to the fight and after the fight. That was a really nice to see that sportsmanship right there. And yeah. see the interviews afterwards with Barrera and Morales. That was that was that was a great event, and I'm sure it was a lot of fun in person. As for Oscar Valdez, I saw him after the fight. He was very emotional. This this, sure. this he wanted this, and it's not just a physical tool. I actually worry now psychologically when you want something this bad. 
and you think this is the thing that's going to put me over the top, make me a Hall of Famer. And the type of fight that this was, but I'll go back. I, You know, people say, should there be a rematch? Personally, I don't think I'd go right back into it, if ever. The other thing is Oscar Valdez, and I've told this to Frank Espinoza, so I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking. You got to learn how to turn your punches over. I, I mean, you got to be able to learn to hit the <clears throat> knuckle over the, and layer your punches, but it may have not mattered. It, 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 it wouldn't matter but in this case. Oscar Valdez has gotten very far with his ability, but unfortunately, he met his match from a physical standpoint and psychologically and mentally. Navarrete, he's a junkyard dog. Oh, he truly is. I think, first of all, I really like Oscar Valdez as as uh, as an individual. And again, he's a class act and he's a great representative uh, of the sport. This fight, I believe, and I don't know because I didn't speak to him, but I got to believe this one even stings more than the Shakur Stevenson fight. He got not only more beat, he got all boxed and beat with yeah. a Shakur. He got beat yeah. up on this one. And the fact that it was two Mexicans and in front of the uh, uh, legend sitting ringside and the pride at stake, I think this one hurt more. Um, because the, the people thought fight. stylistically it was, a, was, more actually a, favorite. was actually a favorite winnable fight. Yes, that's, that's the thing. Exactly I mean, look, exactly I don't know if it. anyone beats Stevenson, and we'll bring him up later. That's an interesting fight, by the way. We'll talk if, about if that were, later. Yeah. Uh, Emiliano Vargas, I thought, made a quite an impression against the plucky, gutty Jorge Alvarado, Mario. And when he knocked this guy out, who was getting in his face, talking a lot of trash, very heated for a four-round <laughs> fight, right? That's yeah. not even on the main stage. But when he... Scored that stoppage. I looked around the crowd and I was like, "Uh oh, they got a star on their hands here." I've always liked him, and um, shout out to the Vargas family right there. The, the, the cool family, very united, uh, very much together, and all the boys uh, box, of course. But he's the the, the budding star, and this kid's um, got it all with the pedigree, the um, uh, ability. The, the discipline with the strong father with the, in, the, in his corner as, as uh, in experience. Um, he's a good-looking kid, very marketable. He could be all the things that people thought Ryan Garcia was going to be at the, at the mm, time bold, later on. Bold statement. Um, I, think, I think he can. You don't agree? I think he can. And the question then becomes, is he willing to be the same guy that he is now? See, it's easy to be disciplined when he really knows you. When you're 5-0, it's easy to be disciplined when you're just an undercard fighter. But when you get to 12-13-0 and you get moved up the ladder, you get more attention, can you be that same guy? I think you need to. That gets more dangerous opponents. <laughs> no, no, no. That's my view, though. Ryan Garcia one time was a very nice, humble kid. Then he signed with Golden Boy. Six months later, he's a different person. Again, there's a saying, be the same guy. Well, I think, again, it goes back to the father. And he's got a father who is very much in his life, very disciplined, and has been there. So if anyone can walk him through it and talk him through it, I think it's his dad. Also, another factor, top rank, their matchmakers are going to make sure that the way Fernando Vargas was handled back in 1999 is not going to be Emiliano Vargas in 2023 and beyond. Think about Fernando Vargas. In 1999, he was about 21 years old. In a calendar year, right around 12 to 14 months, I believe he took on Winky Wright, Mm. Ike Corte, Trinidad. Unbelievable. That's at age 21. 21, bro. That's incredible. And and Fernando Vargas finally admitted years later, he goes, Steve, I should have done it Floyd's way. Yeah. I was too reckless. I was my own worst enemy. Well, now you don't have to be that dramatic to do it Floyd's way, but there's a medium. He said, look, (laughs) he goes, his exact words. Yeah. I could have robbed the bank. Yeah. Could have robbed the bank. And this is what I love about what Top Rank is doing. He's coming back September 15th underneath Joette Gonzalez against Venado Lopez. He's actually going to get his first 
spotlight on the main ESPN broadcast. Love that. So there's no doubt about it that he's made an impact. They know what they have. They're not going to make this into a sprint. It is a marathon. But this could be a very fun ride. I know Miliano pretty well. He's a very grounded young man. He is in top rank. No one's better, and they're great at matchmaking, bringing along their fighters. So I think they've they've got a nice little uh, system working over there with fighter, father, manager, uh, promoter. So yeah, the sky's uh, the the sky's the limit right now if he stays focused and remains disciplined. Yes, there's no doubt he has that star quality. All right, okay, we come back on the three knockdown rule. We go to fight review, fight preview, news and notes, and ask Mario and final flurries. This podcast is sponsored by Hustler Casino, home to the most popular streaming show, Hustler Casino Live, which just celebrated two years of record-breaking pots and live high-stakes poker action. If you're a card enthusiast, make sure to stop by and play all of your favorite games. Hustler Casino, see you there. Shout out to our boy Oscar Lopez, no relation, from Scalp Micro LA. His company offers a unique and very innovative hair loss solution for men. They specialize in a pigmentation known as SMP. Basically, it replicates the exact shape and size of hair follicles by tattooing little particles of pigment into the scalp, giving the illusion of hair. Don't trip. It's actually very realistic. You can see the results in as little as one treatment. They create and restore hairlines, give the appearance of density to thinning hair. So if it's starting to go, it'll look a little thicker. If you're going bald or you're just looking for a new uh, look this summer, check out our homies over at Scout Micro LA and mention this ad for a free consult. Uh, we are back on the three knockdown rule, and we just want to let you know that if you want to get involved with the three knockdown rule and sponsor our fine program, we still have some slots available. Please reach out to us by emailing info at boxbid.io. Once again, that's info at boxbid.io. Boxbid.io is an online platform that is launching soon that helps public figures and professionals in the world of boxing get sponsorships. We are proudly working with boxbid.io. All right, moving on to the fight review Saturday from London, England on the zone from the O2 Arena. Anthony Joshua scores a seventh round knockout over Robert Hellenius. It was rather, uh, I don't want to say boring, but it was very measured. Then bang, it was over. Mario, if you were grading him, Professor Lopez, what's your grade on AJ? Well, look, it's hard to not give him an A because he got a knockout. Well, he passed. He, got, he passed. Well, I just didn't pass. Passing is a D. He got a knockout. You got a knockout, and it was a dramatic mm-hmm. knockout. So, you know, you, you got to give him an A. But here's the thing. Just in general with, with, with Joshua, you know, when he started his career, he was full of confidence. He was able to mm-hmm. uh, let his hands go. He, he'd use his jab, and he would set up that mm-hmm. big right hand. But as his career went on, especially after the Ruiz mm-hmm. loss, his confidence seemed low. He's trying to just be a boxer from the outside. He's not willing to engage and not get hit, which doesn't really suit his style or benefit him. And he doesn't have the movement and athletic ability of like an Usyk. So it's doing him a disservice fighting at this. I don't know if it's the trainer or if it's just his. I, it's, I think he's walking a tightrope. I think about the potential match with a Wilder. And if he just stands here waiting to one, two, Uh-oh. and pawed out, Wilder's going to spark him, and it's going to be lights out. What gives Wilder problems is when you're moving, when you're jabbing with those feints like Fury, even Luis Ortiz moving, keeping those hands busy. You got to be busy to give Wilder. Tra- if you're just standing there and you're just trying to like 
pick apart at him, mm. he's gonna he's gonna start you with that big one too. So unless Joshua is able to turn back the clock or get back to some of his old ways, I think he gets laid out by Wilder. Mario, I agree with you. And let's go all the way back to the summer of 1986. There was a famous fight that took place at the Madison Square Garden, Puerto Rican battle. Edwin Rosario against a young, undefeated, flashy Hector Macho Camacho. Camacho was the most exciting fighter in the sport. He was fast. He was quick. He was blazing hot. was aggressive. Chapo Rosario landed like two big left hooks and a right hand on him and buzzed him twice. And Camacho said afterwards, this macho stuff, not fun. It's not macho time mm. anymore. No. He became the most boring fighter in the world. How'd that fight with Rosario and Chavez work out? Then? Oh, well, he grounded him up. And that was a fighter. great fight. In 1987. Now, <laughs> yeah. I call that being rosario When the first time a fighter really gets clipped hard, they can go two ways. They get better from it or they lose something. Like Marco Antonio Barrera got better from it. Yes, he did. Um, Glenn Johnson, the, when he buzzed Chad Dawson, I love Glenn Johnson. Was right never there. the same. And yeah, he went on to be Roy Okay, that? Um, <laughs> I love you that. take a look at, and you talk about Andy Ruiz. I think that was the final evidence of it. I go back to Vladimir Klitschko in mm. 2017, when Anthony Joshua got sent to the floor, but he rallied to win. To his credit, I believe that's actually the time he got Rosarioed. Because from that point on, even before he racked up a few more wins against Joseph Parker. Yeah, because he did rack up some. It wasn't the same guy. It was but not re- the same but guy. But he, he, he really was off the precipice after the Ruiz fight. No, but the fight. Ruiz fight was full confirmation. That, that was this full is not the same guy. So look, can he beat a Wilder? Yes. But I think he's got to turn the page back uh, a few pages back well, and and channel a different type of energy and mindset. Because now, mind you, Wilder's fought, what, run round in the last... Two years, basically. Yeah, now. so, you know, we're talking about active fighters and stuff, so he hasn't exactly been active. And if they were to theoretically, hypothetically, I should say, fight next, kind of interesting. Look, I will give right? Anthony kinda Joshua credit. He said, I'm going to fight. Hellenius was a late round, late replacement. Yeah. And look, I don't do the whole comparative <laughs> thing. I know Hellenius ran into a right mm-hmm. hand from... Wilder only lasted one round. This one went on seven, eight rounds. Seven rounds, yeah. Here's how. This, where has Wilder really struggled? He has no reverse gear. He would not do well driving in New York City if he has to have a reverse. He can only go one way. And I'm with you. He does not have the fluidity or the head movement or the ability to slip and slide like an Usyk. But if he could throw a hard, aggressive jab, in other words, be passively aggressive where a safety would behind that hard jab and he puts Wilder on the back foot where he just cannot push off that back foot and throw that right hand. Now he has a shot. But here is the reality. Mario Wilder could be losing every single second mm-hmm. or every single round of that fight up to 9-10 rounds and one split second, that right hand can come in like a laser shot. Remember the Louis Ortiz rematch? Of course. He might have lost the first six rounds, and I'm there ringside going, I don't think Deontay's won a round. And then 10 seconds to go in the sixth or seventh round, bang, it was like a laser beam. I've never seen anything like it. And I'm like, ooh. Even Fury, all the times he's fought, I think he got he dropped him like four or five times, didn't right. he? <laughs> he was still in danger to a certain degree. Sure, Maybe sure. not in the rematch where he got mauled, but the third fight, sure. you're right. As, as much dominance as there was from Tyson Fury, who's got unbelievable confidence that Joshua does not have, generally been a durable fighter and even bigger. And just have more athletic. He still got clipped. He got sent to the canvas twice in the third fight, mm-hmm. and he was actually hurt a round or two before he ended it. So that's the fine line that Anthony Joshua has to really toe in terms of, I have to be aggressive, I have to back this guy up. 
But then at times, I actually do have to be passive and run out the clock. I hope that fight gets made. I still would like to see it, and I hope it's next, because I think it, it will be a little bit more of an even playing field with the time off of Wilder and Joshua maybe getting feeling a little bit more confident. Um, I was looking forward, and we talked about it a while back, him fighting Ruiz, but then now, I, what was the video I well, saw? Well, Malik Scott, I sent what, it to no, you. Uh, yeah, what, what, he said that Ruiz is planning on getting into movies? Yeah, well, or the entertainment business? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, he's Mexican Denzel Washington. I was like, what? My guy looks like the little dude from Up. Right, well, maybe he could be cast in that. I love I him. And, and, and look, and Malik Scott also did say, we're hoping to getting to get a fight for Deontay in October. Well, now, wait a minute. You know the way the business is. If Deontay gets a fight in October, is he really going to come right back in January in Saudi Arabia? I just is it just, is it inconceivable that Joshua could face him in October? It wasn't like Joshua took any damage. I get the sense that Malik Scott, who agrees with us about activity, we've actually had private discussions. He wants some rounds. Yeah, he wants like he, prior, prior to facing. Yes, Joshua. he does, and I think that's the prudent move. But I'm still trying to ask, why has it taken Deontay Wilder? This long to get in the ring from the Hellenius fight. You know, how I, long- I, I would if I was hit, I would disagree and I would try to get in that Joshua fight because the last thing you need is another fight. Is Joshua getting another fight, building even more confidence and continuing right. to get a little better. So I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. And then who knows? And then you might blow that particular um, payday too. I, I would love for that fight to happen by the end of the year. Um, also, on this same night from Oxon Hill, Maryland, it was showtime. A lot happened for the vacant IBF Bantamweight title. Emmanuel Rodriguez uh, dominates Melvin Lopez over 12, and then Gary Antoine Russell scored an early knockout, then Gabriel Maestre with a second-round knockout over Trayvon Marshall what was an upset. I want to say one thing about Emmanuel Rodriguez. This goes once again, and to bring up the monster in a way, in my view, Emmanuel Rodriguez, who's now a two-time champion at Bantamweight, I thought he got robbed against Raymar Caballo, the Filipino, at the war grounds in Carson. So uh, you can make an argument that outside of Inoue, that he's an undefeated fighter. Mario, think about this. Emmanuel Rodriguez is a two-time world champion. He didn't make it five minutes against the monster. And this is what I mean by pound for pound, that how you win matters. He's not just eking by guys. Emmanuel Rodriguez is a really solid, fundamental fighter. That's, I like him. That's why I still say it's one and yeah. one A. And it's pretty close. Anyway, yeah. Right. And another thing, uh, Gabriel Maestre, he was trained by Ismael Salas. And this guy, to me, when you talk about who are your elite world-class trainers, Mario, in my view, you have to give this little Cuban guy credit because what does a good trainer do? They don't always win because that's not possible. What they do is, in my view, one of my precepts is, can you lead a fighter once or twice a year to a victory or a performance that's not expected? Every year, Ismail Salas seems to have a fighter or in that corner where you're like, wow, that was an upset. Ah, Salas is in the corner. Because you can win all the time when you have the matchmaking on your side. Maestre was not supposed to beat Trayvon Marshall. And they knocked it. This kid was teetering on the ropes like a teeter-totter. Mm-hmm. I just didn't, But once again... Uh, that man, Ismail Salas, proved his value. Uh, moving on to the Ask Mario portion of the three knockdown rule brought to you by UFC Fight Pass. Let's get into this from DH. Guys, if Bob Aaron makes a fight between Shakur and Navarrete right now, does it outperform a Shakur versus Haney fight financially? Will the Mexican fan base buy into pay-per-views slash gates for Haney Shakur as opposed to Shakur Versus Navarrete. Are the Mexican fans on board with him that much? And do they believe in them that much that he could solve the Rubik's Cube of boxing? I don't know if they'll 
I don't know if he'll, he'll necessarily solve the Rubik's Cube, as you say, but I think it does better business than Devin Haney and Shakur Stevenson. Different cultures, different styles. The buildup would be great. I'd like to see it. Look, I think Shakur pretty much beats anyone from 130 to 135. However, Navarrete, man, dude, he's he's a difficult out in that volume punching. Like you said, it looks like you might be able to do some things when you're outside watching. Then you get in there and those punches come yeah. from these weird angles. He's longer than you think. He's got a little more pop than you think. Dudes get beat up in there. So I think it'd be interesting. Shakur will know he'd been in a fight. When Shakur faces a lot of fighters, I get the sense he could slip and avoid punches with his eyes closed because he understands if you're an orthodox, regular fighter, I know when a jab's coming, I know sure. a right hand and a cleanup hook. All day. But with Navarrete, it could be a lead left uppercut from two blocks away that you never expect. Followed by a right, a, right. Up, another uppercut, another right, another left hook, another uppercut. Right. Right. So if I, brrr, that's the thing. Yeah. The volume punching at these weird angles... I, that's hard to prepare it's for. It's <laughs> an offbeat rhythm that I don't know who you even, how you prepare for it. Yeah. But again, here's the issue. Shakur is a master of space and distance, and he shoots punches down the middle. Mm-hmm. And he also hits you in a way, and I've noticed this. Floyd was great at this. They hit you so quick, you don't even see or feel the punches till they land. They have a way of clamming guys up. I've seen that against both Floyd and Shakur and Terrence Crawford. They're so good at counterpunching. Guys starting, all of a sudden, they get real shy offensively. Well, well, those two guys in particular, because they're so, they're so fast, I would still like to see it. Yes. I still think it's a fun fight. Because fights make fights and stuff yeah. happens. Here's I'd one still fun. like to, what, my, my point is I'd still like to see it over Devin Haney. I think it's a more fun, I think it's a right, fun fight. Right, because Devin Haney and Shakur, it's too much of the same thing. That's what I'm saying. You want a little bit of peanut butter That's and jelly. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Here's one from Hands of Stone. Whose win over Oscar Valdez, in your opinion, was more impressive, Emmanuel Navarrete or Shakur Stevenson's? Well, Navar- Shakur painted a beautiful picture and pitched a shutout in a very effective fight in what was supposed to be close and competitive. Navarrete bullied and beat up a fighter where he was the underdog and... To me, they're both they're both impressive, but to me, that seemed to be even. I walked away more impressed just because he wasn't supposed to do it, and in the manner in which he did it, dude looked like he just was put through a grinder, and I was like, wow, when I walked away. Yeah, you know, I remember when we were doing the show previewing that fight last year. I literally could not find anyone that was picking Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson. So as Chris Rock would say, you did what you're supposed to. But again, he did it impressively. He swam without getting wet. Well, this time Valdez swam with a pack of piranhas that just kept biting and sniping at him the whole time. And I think even Oscar Valdez would say, okay, if you had to do it over again, would you rather go through the Stevenson fight or the ordeal with Navarrete? You know what? I'd rather go, even though Stevenson scored a knockdown, I guarantee you, he did not need as much Advil oh, as no, he did no, this no. past exactly. weekend. Yeah. Uh, here's a question from Albert Alvarez. Hey, Mario, any idea when La Guerra Civil will air? Ask your homegirl, Eva Longoria, for us. Huh. Okay. So I remember the ads for this, and the Zone still has like a little trailer. They were supposed to do a feature-length documentary on the first fight between Julio Cesar Chavez and Oscar De La Hoya. And in fact, Mario, before your production with Mark Wahlberg came out on HBO, I was on The Zone and I said, okay, I want to see that one. 
You have any idea? It's not there. Did it, did it fly into Bolivian? The Bermuda Triangle? I wasn't uh, I wasn't producing that one. I even sat down because he was a friend of mine, so I sat down with an interview uh, for that. We covered it a lot, so I don't know is the answer, but we covered a lot of that fight, ironically, in the Oscar doc, right. too. Um, and I thought we did a, a pretty good job kind of uh, uh, touching on that. That particular project, I believe, was just kind of focusing on the cultural differences at the time, but obviously ours was just a large... Uh, grander uh, scheme of things but i'm pretty excited about some uh, upcoming docs we got coming up i can't talk about it at the moment but one will serve well for this show so stay tuned yeah and, and speaking of which clay stevenson longtime fan of ours hey mario is there a, any chance of a sequel to the golden boy documentary now mario didn't oscar say in some interview yeah we're coming out with other parts there's gonna be a sequel is that not, news to perhaps you perhaps not a sequel <laughs> but perhaps a follow-up um reality type show so stay tuned oh, we'll, see. What? we'll see stay tuned wow okay um here's one from johnny boy short and simple who do you want navarrete in with next and who do you think it will ultimately be orale i mean i'd like to see him unify but for big money fights i mean the shakur fight's just a fun is a, a fun fight you know what even the tank fight is a fun fight you don't think tank's too big he's 135 yeah, but I'm just talking his power. I mean, Tank is like a welterweight. No, I know he does. But I think he's a big kid, Navarrete. And I know he's... he's Boy, taller and lankier. There's no doubt. He's taller and lankier. But he's one of those, like, I don't want to say Tommy Hearns-esque, but he's got a little more pop than you think. You know what I mean? And maybe if he gets a little hmm. more legs into him. I just think it's interesting. Only because Tank doesn't throw a lot of punches, and Navarrete does. He gets outworked. That's what I'm saying. Ooh. He gets out. Remember, in the name of smaller guy, even... um. What's his name? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, Luis Santa Cruz. Yes. Santa Cruz. He was doing a good job against him. Navarrete, a lot more active, a lot bigger, a lot stronger. I just think those are fun fights. I don't know if he wins them, but I love those are fun fights. I think he has a better chance against Tank than he does Shakur. What do you think about him at 135 or some sort of catchweight between 35 and 30? Vasil Lomachenko. And who? Navarrete. Uh, that one doesn't excite me as much. It doesn't. That's no, surprising. I like the Tank or Shakur one. Um... Loma, I think, should go. Loma, I think it did. Because he's not getting the Haney rematch. That yeah, much is clear. That's not, that's not happening. You know what? It's funny that you said, and I, want, I wanted to bring this up earlier, when we saw Navarrete prior to this fight, he looked a little vulnerable. Maybe he was getting a little shop-worn or just a lot of tread on those tires and then came back and had like what I think is the best performance. If Haney, since you mentioned him, decides if I read his program, I know that's not official yet. Hopefully, we saw a progre who was a little... And not necessarily that he looks shop worn, but maybe off his game a little yeah. bit. But and maybe that's why Haney wants to choose to fight him over Shakur. I think we can have a similar thing where Progre is just amped, focused. Yeah, it's not. You know what I mean? Could be the same. That's a fight I'd like to see too. If I could put my promoter hat on, I'd like to see Haney Progre, and then Navarrete with either Shakur or Tank. I think it'd just be fun. And keep this in mind: Navarrete and Shakur are both represented by top rank. Mm. And so that's fun, uh, isn't again, it? Again, the politics plays a large part in what we see. And I get the sense that the PBC, especially with Tank coming off his summer vacation, and I don't mean from Camp Snoopy. Hey, why was this guy yelling at you on Twitter? Everybody scolds you. Kid. Oh, you mean Leonard Ellerby? Yeah, why well, was he yelling I don't, at you? I don't get this about old Lenny. I like Lenny, but Lenny, if you think you don't like you too much. Well, no, I mean, I don't really care, but here's the thing that gets me. He thinks it's out of line for me to ask Bob Arum, who promotes. Shakur Stevenson about a Tank Davis fight when they're in the same weight class. Yeah, like that's I, inappropriate. Like I'm not asking, hey Bob, do you think Tyson Fury could fight 
Hank Davis? Now, that I'd be like, you know what, see, that's the worst question you've ever asked, and right. you've asked a lot of b- bad questions. But that is a fight that a lot of people are interested in, and I and I think Lenny has to understand. And what, what was he upset about? That's a legitimate question. I don't. That's understand. the problem. Yeah. That I I, I, I don't, Next time I'm gonna send I'm gonna send a fax. I still use a fax to Lenny. Wow. I'm say Lenny. These are the questions I'm gonna ask Bob Aram. I just want to get your approval. Right. Anyway, so I'm just thinking again. I don't understand. Like, how dare I? How dare I even propose? A fight between two lightweights. The nerve. Wow. And in, in the Really out of line. Steve. In the immortal words of uh, Greta Thunberg, how dare I? Anyway. Um, Your here's, girl. Here's one from Fanny Merchant. Ask that Norteño and Sereno Cologne kingpin, Mario Lopez. By the way, <laughs> included the pictures. It's really nice. Hey, um, I like that guy. Yeah. Uh, can he relate to Anthony Joshua getting so much hate because he's handsome and women love him? And number two. Yes. Does he like that AJ wants more activity as opposed to super fights? I like that AJ wants more um, activity. I don't know if it's necessarily as opposed to super fights, but maybe in addition, it would help him prepare more, maybe get a little bit of that mojo back. So I hope that's the case. Listen, we just talked. In a perfect world, I'd love to see Deontay and AJ um, fight in October or at the end of the year. I think that's a great fight. In my view, Anthony Joshua does suffer a little bit from the, speaking of the golden boy, the De La Hoya syndrome. He's a good-looking guy, panties drop. I mean, just for the ladies. I mean, he it's, it is like an Usher concert when he fights. To, and he got a lot early. This is where I think Anthony loses a lot of fans, or at least the hardcore fans. He makes a lot of excuses. And I didn't like the way he threw Robert Garcia under the bus. You're the one who brought Robert Garcia in. You didn't go to Riverside. You did the cheap way. And again, Robert agreed to this. So he mm. has to take some of the blame. Robert should have said, yeah, I have a great gym called the RGBA, Real Boxing. You come over here. But again, this is the money game. People want to get paid. But then after that fight, and by the way, the Usyk rematch going into the 10th, I thought was a damn close fight. I actually thought he put together an admirable effort mm-hmm. with Robert in the corner. Yeah, but I then agree. later on, he says, well, Robert didn't teach me much. Well, wait oh, a minute. Man. Maybe you're just a bad student. Maybe you didn't want it. And that's where you lose people. Yeah. And do Maybe I think start- there's a jealousy because of because there's a, I don't know what it is. It's funny about Eddie Hearn. In the UK slash Britain. You either love Eddie Hearn or Match Room or you're staunchly against him. It's the funniest thing. Like when I sometimes I'll say Match Room and Eddie Hearn did a hell of a job here. It's 50 and it's a it creates like a British civil war. But then also at the same time, if you criticize Eddie Hearn, some of the matchroomites come out and defend this guy like he's a member of the family. And I believe that is part of the dynamic as it relates to Eddie Hearn. But Anthony Joshua, I'll say this. If he beats Deontay Wilder, all will be forgiven. He'll be the most popular heavyweight again in Britain since Frank Bruno. Everyone loves a winner, don't they? Even over Fury, you think? Depending how it beats him. Well, here's the issue with Fury. He has his share he, is, is he still of detractors. Is he still... Maybe doesn't because... He? I don't know. Maybe because of the layoff. I don't think so. He's put in wars, man. That guy's got equity in there. And he's and he's beating up uh, Deontay Wilder. You don't beat think- him up. That's just not just knocked him up. Beat him up, too. And he's fought him three times. So he gave us a lot of great moments. Look, am I disappointed he didn't face Usyk right away? Yes. He's obviously going to have a big money grab fight with Nganu. The escapade. And, and I'm not opposed to that if he would continue with his other obligations like fighting music I wouldn't have but now that in lieu of uh, it's kind of like you're right. and look there's probably fans that are staunchly for Fury staunchly for AJ so that creates a rivalry by the way are they ever going to fight I don't get this up Joshua and Fury are two of the best who, who British does Joshua do, do better against in your eyes Fury or uh, Wilder 
He'd be the significant underdog in both for different reasons. The boxing IQ of Fury and just the presence that he brings, and he's smart enough, I, I just think he riddles Anthony Joshua. Now, with Deontay Wilder, I don't know about his legs. What if he lands that exact same right hand on Hellenius that he does on Deontay Wilder? That that was a hard shot. That bro. was a good He's shot. He's still a big, strong right. guy. He still looks the part and yes. flashes. You're like, ooh. But you're right. I think he's now overly cautious to a point where, as that old saying, you're pissing away vitamins. But if he gets another fight under his belt where he has a performance and a knockout like that, maybe the confidence is coming back a little bit. So we'll see. That's why I, it's dangerous I think for Wilder's team to wait too long, because if he gets another one, then you, you never know. You never know. That's right. What I'm and, saying. and with Deontay Wilder, every month that goes on where there's no fight really planned, there's a phrase called dying on the vine. Mm-hmm. I Look, unless you're a special talent like Muhammad Ali, who took three years off when he was in exile. By the way, Muhammad Ali was younger. But if you look at him, when we came back with the Jerry Quarry fight, you could tell it was not the same. He was not that same spectacular athlete. Mm-hmm. He had to find other ways to win. The look, and I tell this to young fighters, you can never reverse youth or the march of time. It's like when you turn over that hourglass, no matter what you do, whether you're fighting or not or resting or living a lifestyle, that sand goes down to the bottom. You can't ever retrieve that. You know, and even as you get older and I can just tell just from when I'm still sparring and even in jujitsu, there is an explosiveness with young guys. That you you your body right. thinks it can act like that and it just can't right. and you see it and even defensively you're like oh damn youth is youth is wasted on the young as they say right. <laughs> Mario I thought Nonito Donaire went through that a couple weeks ago I'm watching this fight he's on the Crawford undercard he fought a guy that's really tough that I think even three years ago he gets out of there in yeah. five rounds but on that particular night and I, we haven't talked to him maybe we'll bring him on the show but there seemed to be a dynamic where he saw punches coming. Couldn't get out of the way. He saw punches there. He couldn't snap and pull the trigger. Yeah. It happens. Even more so with the lighter weight classes. Right. Because they're so twitchy and it's so reliant on reflexes. You can get away with it a little bit more being a big guy, a la George Foreman when they're older and stuff. Yeah. But it, it is a huge factor. So anyway, now we go on to the final Flurries program of our show. And Mario, a philosophical question about life. You know, it all ends the same way. We all have the same ending. Basically, we all end up in the same place. I don't know how the race is really uh, raced up until the finish line. But I have a question. Would you rather be buried or cremated when it's all over? Are you asking me this because I'm about to turn 50? Uh, <laughs> that's just halftime for me. I, I hate even saying yeah. that out loud. Yeah. A friend of mine got into an argument with his son over the same um, topic because because it's really about your kids. They're the ones that are going to go visit you, and or not, he's, <laughs> or or not. But he said, "I want to be cremated." I go, "Oh, you're Catholic. What's the deal?" And then he goes, "My kids said the same thing. Hmm. He he wants to. Where am I going to take my the grandkids to go visit them?" And he goes, "Well, you can spread the ashes." And then I'm like, so wow, just I don't know visit the Pacific Ocean? Said, no, no, like, no, not spread the ashes that way. Hey, like, in other words, out there somewhere. No, in other words, no, give some ashes in one urn to yeah, one kid. I've had that. Some other ashes my in another urn. Your dad did the cremation thing. Yes. You, did you keep the ashes? Yes, it's in my office. So did you cremate him because that's what he wanted or that's what you chose? That's what he wanted. That's what he wanted. Yes. So my wife and I got into it the other day because, I don't know, maybe because I'm old school and I just, 
I grew up and I thought I wanted the to- the the tomb. I'm sorry, the headstone yeah. and all that. She's like, no, I want to be cremated, dude. She's got our dog's ashes at the house. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. I go, we're gonna, I go, we're gonna have a bunch of ashes at the end with all the dogs and the people right here. I said it's gonna look crazy. She goes, I want our kids to take us with us. I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, you know, you start getting old, you start right, thinking about it. Can you do a half and half? I don't bury no, the upper body. Burn the ashes of the lower. We're going to be buried together and all that. These are Mario's legs. I'm actually, you know what? I'm coming around. I don't know. I think, I used to always want to say, I guess I'm open now. Do you know what you want? Do you want to be cremated or what do you want? You know, if I had a large family, I would say burial. But again, I don't. So as of right now, I would say, look, I don't want to take up any space on this earth. Spread my ashes over the top of... Oh, you want them spread. You don't want anybody to keep them. Spread <laughs> over... Well, no, whoever wants part of my ashes will give you a little thimble. But the other part is wherever the Miami Hurricanes are playing their home games, oh, fly God. over and put it on the 50-yard line. So, because this way, I'll always be... Really? Not in the ring? Dip. Not in a ring over there? Oh, some of them in a ring, too. We got scoops on, here, man. scoops there, you know. I mean... I I to Florida one time. All of a sudden, you're not right. one time. But anyway, um, that's a tough one though. Now it's that I think one. about it's it, it's a tough one. I think it's less expensive though if you do well, the that's cremation a, that's, deal. That's right? The other thing. Is it significantly? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, because it gets pricey to get buried and right. stuff, huh? When my dad, it's a morbid show. Right oh boy, we really brought down the mood of this one. Yeah, funeral, funerals and stuff are expensive. Cremation is cheaper. However, you can also buy an urn and then buy a spot to put that urn. So that people can visit that. Yeah. I remember my grandmother too. They were terrified. My dad, I was with them. Like, you can get this casket for this much. This cat. Then they got caskets, dude. Like with the bells and whistles. I'm like, yeah, they should not be partying in there. The low I mean, riders, low riders. Dude, it's like with the spinners yeah. and shit. I was like, it's crazy. And they start at like nine grand. Yeah, it's expensive yeah. to die. It's expensive to die. So that's a tough so, one. Okay, it's something I don't, to think there's about. No, there's no wrong answer. Yeah. There's You're no- 100% dying before me. So I think yeah, right. I will... <laughs> All right. <laughs> I will see. I will respect your wishes. Okay. Whatever you want. Sounds yeah, good. I got it. Put it right back. at Hard Rock Stadium. Right Steve Kim just being all spread out there. I'm not going to Miami. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put it in the no, I'm not going to Miami. Hey, Mario, did it turn out that <laughs> the uh, movie with Blind Side was just one big farce? What's going on there with Michael Orr? He's this not happy. So, you know oh, what? Man, this, this is, is so sad. disheartening to see because this kid. Well, young man. He's 37 now. No, no, no. He was a kid <laughs> oh, when true. he when he was adopted. He was. You mean, you mean not adopted? <laughs> well, whatever. He was taken in. Yeah. He was taken in when he was young, yep. poor, homeless. He was given a home, warm meals, sent to a good school, went to college, ended up paving the way for him to be in the NFL. And I don't know why. Am I wrong to think like he just comes across really ungrateful right now? And it's sad. It's kind of like when mm. I made me feel bad, like when Colin Kaepernick was talking about his parents who adopted him because his dad bounced. And then he kind of turned on them saying, he was saying some not so nice things. And I feel bad for these adoptive parents. Like, man, you open your home to these kids. You just want a little gratitude. Am I wrong? What's that phrase? No good deed goes unpunished. It That's made what, me sad when I heard the story. It did. Well, look, I want to. Sandra Bullock won an Oscar for that performance. Right. Does she have to give it back? Story. That's what I'm saying. Does Michael, <laughs> does Michael Orr That's want right. that trophy? That's exactly Is it, it all good? Right. Um, and, and the other thing is that I believe he claimed that the family made 300 million. I don't think the movie made oh, 300 million. Oh, come on. The movie. Oh, please. The movie didn't. No, no. I'd like no, to get no. both sides so of the story. It's about the movie. It's about the movie because, wow. But again, you're right. Let, let's say they didn't. Do the full adoption, but as you stated, you, uh, we provided a roof, structure, family. You right. had good Christmases, three square meals a day. We we helped you get around. That's priceless. That doesn't. You're telling me just a paper that says you're adopted 
ruins all of that. Man, I that's just think t- about that's it. a tough one. I, I just think about his poor mom. You know, my, my mom must have broke her heart hearing that. It did. I look, and were parts of that movie embellished? Of course, it's well, Hollywood. Hollywood. Of course. But I have a hard time believing that any family just looks at a kid at age fifteen and go, "Honey, that kid's six six. You know what? They're paying left tackles in the NFL." <laughs> I mean, we put them on a good strength and conditioning program. We can go to old at an SEC school, and then we can go out and shake Roger. Good, you real? I don't. I'm just thinking to myself, come on. Yeah, we can cast Sandra Bullock as playing me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think they have that force. Yeah. <laughs> I so I, 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 look. I'd like to get both sides of the story, but I do find it sad. Yeah. Regardless. I agree. You know what? I, I also found sad and also a little bit uplifting because I think he's going to be okay. I watched the Johnny Manziel documentary, Netflix, and it's part of the series, the Untold series, and they're doing our friend Victor Conte this week. They did one on Jake Paul a couple weeks ago, and they're going to do one on the Florida Gators when they had all sorts of killers and Tim Which ones have you seen? I've seen the, I'm not going to watch the Jake Paul one till later. I did watch. Wait, why aren't you watching it until later? I don't know. What are you, know. saving it for a special night? I, you know what, because with Jake Paul, there's overexposure. I feel as though I know the story, but I, I don't mind him. I've met him. He's a nice young yeah, man. Get along with the fun. Um, well, obviously, Johnny Manziel, college football, I'm going to watch. Victor Conte one, I'm definitely going to yes, watch. Absolutely. I'm going to try to get He's him on the show. Ours. So tell me about the Johnny Manziel. It's a story of it's a, a one, kid. It's a one-parter, right? One-parter, about, about an hour 15. It's amazing how beating Alabama one game, because up until that game, he was just a good young player. All I saw sudden, that game, He actually, beats Bama on his big upset, and it changed college football because everyone said, we have to run that offense. We have to go hurry up, no huddle, and we got to find ourselves a Manziel, run around. But the story, I don't want to ruin it for you because you should actually watch it. But well, the wait, way, but, but we know the story. No, no. But the way <laughs> they squirted the drug testing is one of the funniest stories. But bottom line, did he just not have the talent for the next level? Didn't have the game. No, that's First what I'm saying. Five ten. Who who I mean, who is a better? I was going to say athlete, but who's a better uh, quarterback? Johnny Manziel or Baker Mayfield? Baker still made a career out of it. Yeah, he lasted say, longer, right? But I will say this about Manziel. He gave a speech at the beginning about how, and he was being honored by the A&M alumni, dressed real nicely, and he was very contrite about, hey, guys, thanks for sticking with me. I know I've done, and, I, and even at the end, he's a likable guy. But the stuff that he went through, like, you'll laugh because you could see how he got caught up, but I think social media actually hurt him. And I found it to be an engaging story. I like Johnny Manziel. He's the type of guy that if he did like a podcast talking football and life, I'd actually listen to it. He's an intelligent nice. young man. It turned out that story about his family being oil tycoons and he's rich and he didn't need money. Big fraud. Big fraud? It was a big fraud. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. What's he up to now? Um, He's just kind of living his life. I don't know what he's doing, to be honest. I mean, oh, they never really got into that. Okay. But he seems to be living in a big house in Arizona. So he seems to be doing... Right, good for him. Okay. By the way, I heard you met... Rob Lowe. What's going no, on with I, him? I didn't just meet him. I've known um, oh, okay. Rob Lowe for, for years now. Dude, think about it. Rob Lowe. We're 80s kids. He's been a star since the 80s for like for a long time. And he's done a really good job mm. of sort of reinventing himself. And we both talked about I was on his podcast. So he's been on my yeah. show a bunch. So he called me and asked me to be on his podcast. So we sat down and talked for like an hour and a half or whatever. And... I love hearing his stories because anybody you name, he's got, because he's been around since yeah. the 80s out here from Dayton, Ohio. He's calling me a big baseball guy too, calling me like, because we I've seen him a lot of games and when he, he'll call Dave Roberts and say, this guy's tipping his hand. This, I'm like, well, really? Dave's answering the yeah. phone call. And he goes, he's answering the call. I said, all right, Rob. But he was like this teen heartthrob and yes. did also a lot of great movies back in the 80s, right? And then got in a little bit of trouble, but then ended up 
really becoming like a really uh, good actor and doing a bunch of different serious roles, serious roles in comedic roles and then hosting game shows. And now he's doing the podcast. He's got a show with his son. He's on um, that uh, that one nine one one show. I forget. Yeah, he's doing. Yeah. But I just always respect anybody that's been able to hang out in an industry for decades on end. He's been in four or five decades uh, now. No, four decades. Yeah, four decades. And, since and he's a Lakers GM. Oh, that's Rob Palenka. Sorry, sorry. Rob Palenka. But you know what I mean? Like but, if you think of it, but if you think about it, not too many people that we grew up with, because I know you're a big 80s guy yeah. and guy of yesteryear, who's still kind of hanging out and is as relevant into stories like when he, because he lived next to Charlie Sheen and that whole family. Like, uh, uh, who from that era is really still as relevant in his shows? From the 80s. You know what I'm saying? Other than like Tom Cruise, of course, who's Tom Cruise, right. who we worked with on The Outsiders and stuff. But Rob Lowe's done a nice job of staying relevant and being in so many different things. And I, it was just a really pleasant uh, conversation, and that that fool still looks looking as handsome as ever. Still what's looks his, great. What's his iconic role? You think? What's the Mount Rushmore? That's stuff? just it. Because I was saying, what what do people come up to you mm. and mention the most, right? And they said, you know, it depends on the generation, Mario. Yeah. You know, they'll mention uh, Saint Elmo's Fire, or that's the one I or remember. Outsiders, or the, and then you'll go the West Wing, and then he was even in like yeah. in um, uh, uh, Austin Powers, right? He was yes. uh, what's his name, son? Um, I can't remember his name from Heart to Heart. You know what I'm talking about? And so he's just done so. He's one of those. Guys that just does so many different things dude one time i was in santa barbara and i was hanging out with marcus allen and marcus allen lived there and he goes let's go to rob's house real quick and i thought he meant i was like all right just a buddy he played with or something <laughs> he went around the block it was rob lowe's house dude this house looked like a house like jeff bezos should live in i'm all damn rob lowe invested well or he's done yeah. really well so he's done really well and he's quietly just been like having this really busy jam-packed career so i just want a tip of the hat to like a guy the who's rob been around lowe. since the 80s man saint and elmo's still doing. fire that Remember came saint out elmo's? in what 85 or 86 great soundtrack. great soundtrack too yeah great theme song yeah yeah, the exactly. You remember that? I do. Yeah, Good song. Exactly. All right, well, that's it for this week's edition of the Three Knockdown Rule. On behalf of Smoke and Tim Frazier, Tino and Mario Lopez, this is Steve Kim saying, till the next round, goodbye, everybody.